Welcome to the Raise the Roof, Remove the Walls podcast. Andy and Joe here with you again. Hey, guys. And uh, this week, uh, we are back with another parable. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the parable of the speck in the log, a little story that Jesus said. It's, it's, almost, it's so quick, it almost doesn't feel like a parable. It just feels true. You know, he's just giving us this little example. Um, but Matthew 7, so in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, uh, one of the parts here, uh, starting at verse 1 of chapter 7, uh, Jesus says, uh, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So I'll just let you dive into the fun here. <laughs> well, the first time I, I became aware of the nuances of this parable, was when I read a book called The Humor of Christ. And one of the areas he talked about was this, this parable, because he says this is this is typical Jewish humor, because you you have this picture of this person with this plank, or my translation says log, but this large wooden object coming out of their eye, and they're trying to get this little speck of sawdust out of somebody else's eye. So uh, there, there is some humor here, and I think Jesus uses the humor, the the exaggeration of this to get over his point. Um, you know, it's also found in Luke, and both in Luke and Matthew, the background of this parable is interesting, because in Matthew in verses 1 and 2, he's talking about judging. And he basically says, don't judge. And if you do judge, whatever, whatever level our standard or measurement of judgment that you use on other people is going to come back and be used on you. And he says basically the same thing in Luke chapter six, where this is recorded. Um, you know, I don't know whether that is always true in life, but it, it probably, I took this as meaning Jesus looks at us and, and as I'm judging somebody else, but particularly my brother, um, with whatever standard, Jesus has exact right to use that same standard on me. Now, that's scary and, and should kind of wake us up to the fact that part of the problem with judging is we are so sinful and flawed and finite that our judgment is, is, is corrupted. Um, I remember uh, a situation when I was pastoring up in Kirtland, New Mexico, and a, a guy in our church who had struggled in the past with some alcohol issues, and he and I had kind of formed a little accountability partnership, and uh, he would come by on a periodic basis. We'd talk, see how he was doing, and, and he gave me permission. If you see me moving in that direction, then you have the right to intervene in my life. Well, one day I am going past in, in Kirtland, there were two bars. They were both across the street from each other, which I never understood. But they were sort of out of town. But, man, they were yeah. just like right across the road from each other. And as I'm going past, I see this guy's unique motorcycle at one of the bars. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, he's over there drinking. Okay, I've got to deal with this. So the next day, he comes into my office. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, this is cool. He's realizing. 
And he begins to tell me the story about why he was over there to help another guy who was involved in drinking, who was getting drunk, who had called him to come get him. And I'm thinking, okay, I've already made this judgment of what's going on in this guy's life, where it was a wrong judgment. Not because I was using a wrong measure, but simply I didn't have the 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 knowledge and the information to be able to make a correct judgment. And so this this whole parable is one of saying, hey, don't judge other people because you simply don't have the information or the spiritual integrity to be able to make that. Only God does. And he's not telling us to not judge because, oh, it's wrong. He's telling us to not judge because it's not our, that's not our authority. He has the authority to judge because his judgments are always going to be right. Mine could be, but a whole lot of the times they're not. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we make ourselves the basis of judgments. And that's, that's, that's the problem, you know, is that we, we want to talk to people and point to, Hey, see, I didn't do that. And you're not supposed to do that. When what, what Jesus is saying here is like, no, I'm, I'm the standard. Um, the, the word of God is the standard. And if, if we point people out and say, this, this is what Jesus says, this is what the word of God says. And, and I'm just putting that out there, you know? Um, but when we make ourselves the standard, we're going to run into problems because there's a whole lot of things with us that are not up to standards, you know? Um, and I mean, this is why, you know, the, the word of God never ranks sin. Sin is just sin. Right. It is a, it is a black and white thing. And, yep. and we have all the colors of the rainbow in our sin thing, all these different levels. Oh, well, this one, this one's not so bad. And this one's a little bad. And then we have some really bad ones, you know, um, as Baptist, uh, we used to have jokes that we made them all start with letter D that were the really bad ones. It was, it was uh, a pawn off of the movie dodgeball, um, which in and of itself watching dodgeball probably counts as a sin, uh, if we're being <laughs> honest. Um, but you know, we make ourselves that standard. And Jesus is saying, like, don't don't do that because you're not the standard. I am, you know, uh, we're never going to it never works that way either. It, no. when, when we start to make ourselves the standard, then sin becomes a, a me versus you thing. Mm-hmm. Then I, I am on the right side and you are therefore on the wrong side. And it becomes mm-hmm. this us versus them thing. Yeah. It's never supposed to be an us versus them thing. Um, other pe- people are not the enemy other people are not who we're trying you know we're not supposed to try and defeat our enemies we are never told to do that in right. ephesians when god gives us the the armor of god and says all this stuff he says to stand so that you're not taken down by all the devil's schemes but, but he says at the end of it to stand you stand your ground and you stay exactly where you are jesus does all the victory that's all him you know um but we like to rank the sins and, and do all this stuff so that we we say, oh, we'll see, I, I did this and I have this victory and I, I defeated this and 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 I'm better is, is what it really gets down to. We want to make ourselves feel better about yeah. our uh, about us. And so, well, here's the thing that you're doing wrong, you know, and, and yeah. I, I love this verse, uh, those first two, you know, talking about judging and because non-church people, this is one of the verses that people that, that, that don't like church and they'll go, they know these two verses. Okay. It says you're not supposed to judge. It's like, well, actually, what it says is, if I'm going to hold you to a standard, then I'm held to the same standard. You know, do not judge or you too will be judged. Like, here's the measure that's being used. And I am not the measure. Jesus is the measure. Like, there's there's this subtle difference there where there's a balance. And we like to swing one way or the other, you know. Oh, you can't tell anybody anything they're doing is ever wrong. No, that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that there's truth here and I can hold up the truth. And, and I'm not going to decide, I don't have the ultimate say on whether or not you're holding up to that truth, but I can point out the truth 
and talk about that. Um, but it also doesn't swing the other way where I get to, Oh no, you did that. I don't, I don't get to, you know, I'm not the right. judge jury executioner right. here. Right. Um, we're just witnesses at the trial. I say that all the yeah. time because witnesses just <laughs> tell what they know. That's what we're supposed to do. I know what the word of God says. So here it is, you know, and, and those, those things change depending on who we're talking to as well. Like Jesus is talking about brothers here. And then there's some differences. Paul is very clear uh, to the Corinthians that we don't need to be stepping outside the church to tell people what to do. They don't belong to the church. Why would I tell them? God will take care of them. It's literally what he says. God will judge those people. Um, But within the church, we have responsibility to hold each other accountable, but it's a two-way street. And we like to make it a one-way street. Here's all the things I get to tell you about, but you don't get to tell me about. And this parable just blows that out of the water. And I love the way Jesus starts this out because he doesn't start out saying, okay, this is what you're not supposed to do. He simply asks a question. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the plank or the log in your own eye? Well, it's very simple. If I've got a plank in my own eye, I'm not going to be able to see that little speck in somebody else's (laughs) eye. You know, I mean, it's impossible. The, the speck is 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 small, but we see in another person before we acknowledge this huge plank or log that's got to be very large in our own eyes. Um, I, I, I have believed this for a long time. My sin, my weakness, my failure is never going to be as bad as your sin or your weakness or your failure. And, and like you said, it's very much a defense method a method to deflect the truth about what we're doing that's not pleasing to God by focusing on, well, somebody else over here is. <clears throat> I, uh, there have been, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> many times over the years where <clears throat> I've been counseling people, and when we got real deep into some of their sins, they would immediately go, well, but, you know, so-and-so over here or so-and-so over there, they're worse than me about that. And I, my response is, we're not talking about them. We're talking about you. And God has never come to me in almost 72 years now of life and said, hey, did you notice what so-and-so did, how bad that was? No. He has many times pointed out to me what I have been doing that's not pleasing to him. Uh, And then he follows this up with another question. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a plank or log in your own eye? I mean, I can't imagine somebody coming up to me with a big wooden thing sticking out of their eye and going, I want to, I see that little speck. No, no, not because I don't want you to tell me what's wrong, but because when you do that, that big plank in your eye is going to put my eye out. Um, I think it's wrong for us to try to fix people. And it's particularly wrong when we try to fix someone when we have a bigger issue in our life or maybe even the same issue that we couldn't possibly see that speck in their eye when we've got this thing sticking out of our eye. Um, and, and you're right. I think I think the church over the years has been guilty of trying to make the world follow the standard of Jesus when they can't. And when we do that, we become very mean, harsh, intolerant people. Um, I have a friend, and uh, I was so overjoyed that he's begun looking at some of my posts on Facebook. And I know he's, he's, he's a millimeter 
if that, away from really understanding and surrendering his life to Jesus. But his big hang-up, and I understand this, are other Christians. And some of our, I think, fear in how we approach the brokenness of our culture. And, and a lot of Christians get very nasty when you don't agree with them about what's going to solve our problems. And if it was Jesus that they were saying would solve our problems, that would be one thing. But they're looking to worldly ways to solve <laughs> these problems, and they get nasty when you don't agree with them. So, you know, I, I, I hurt for people like that. And that's, I think, what Jesus is talking about right here. We should not be going out in the world going, okay, here's what's wrong with you guys. We need to be saying, okay, God, how do you fix? I want you to fix me. I want you to fix us so that we can be a model for the world of what it looks like to follow Jesus, not trying to force them to do it when they have no power to do it. Yeah, I mean, how much different would the world look at the church if when they looked at us, they saw a repentant people who, who, who were more about acknowledging our own brokenness than about pointing out yours? You right. know, but that, that, in my lifetime, that's never been what the church was, you know? No, um, I'm not sure it's and, been in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, look, we're, we are we are both a part of Southern Baptist churches. Um, full disclosure, and I have no problem with this disclosure. Do you know why the Southern Baptist Convention exists? Uh, Southern, <laughs> what, 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 why would things split into Northern and Southern? Um, ever heard of the Civil War? Um, you know, all, all the stuff around that. By the way, is, by the way, this the Civil War was fought about slavery, in case anybody. Yes. Doesn't. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. Sorry. Two people with history degrees are telling you that this was not about states' rights. It was about slavery. OK. Um, yes. It was about states' rights to have slaves. Like that was the right that the states wanted to have. Um, sure. But yeah, it was about slavery. Um, but I mean, you know, we're, we're part of a convention that started because the other Baptists we were cooperating with didn't want to send missionaries who owned slaves. They didn't feel that was right. Um, I got to say, I agree. Um, you know, and so they got upset. And as Baptists tend to do, we split up and just made a new kind of Baptist because that's what, that's what Baptists are all about. There's, there's like a million kinds of Baptists if you, uh, look around for them, you know, and it took, it took over a hundred years before we would acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was, it's, it's just crazy to me still, you know, um, I remember telling somebody that some, uh, an, an older person having come and they're like, that's really what, why we're Southern Baptists. That's yes. You know, and, and some people I get, I understand the thought of, oh, I, I don't need to talk about, I, we, we shouldn't glorify our sins and put the, you know, no, we, we don't need to glorify our sin, but we need to be honest about, we need to be honest about our faults and about our brokenness, because guess what the world can relate to? brokenness this is what connects us this is what makes us the same that we're just as broken as they are we just have someone that can fix it we have someone that can make us whole again and we will and and our goal our mission is to introduce broken people to the one who can fix them the only one who can fix them and i can't fix people my church can't fix people uh no denomination no group can fix people only jesus can fix people um, and Jesus can only fix us when we are willing to admit that we're broken. Um, that's, you know, 
when, when, when you teach little kids the ABCs of becoming a Christian at VBS and stuff, the first one is to admit that you are a sinner. Um, and we're, we're not so good at that one. Uh, we can admit that we used to be sinners sometimes. But, you know, I, I had something way back in my past. I, I mean, I'm not perfect. You know, we... we we, we, we dial it down nice and well. So, uh, we, we, yeah, we should, we should we need Jesus a little bit. I mean, I didn't have it all together, but I'm better than that guy. Oh, um, that's that's what we're talking about with the speck and the, the pole here. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and it's not – I love how Peterson, Eugene Peterson in the message talks about this. He's like, how dare you go up to someone and tell them you need to wash their face while your face is distorted with contempt? Like your face is just completely a mess. And he says – Stop playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Like, stop making too much of yourself, acting holier-than-thou. Just just love people and just be honest. And then we get to have those conversations, you know? Yes. And then they're they're constructive. They're, they're not yeah. going to be uh, defensive or anything. You know, I think Donald Miller told the story in one of his books. And it may have been Blue Like Jazz. I can't remember which book it was. Where he goes, he and a friend go on the campus of a very liberal, maybe one of the most liberal universities in all the country. And they put up this tent and they put across it prayer tent. And all these people go by and 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 they're like being very prayer tent. So finally, some of them come to him and they go, well, how dare you want to pray for us? And they go, no, that's not what this is. This is a, a, a tent. For you to come into, we confess our sins to you, and you pray for us and forgive us. And I think, I think that, I think that that mindset is a mindset that that the church, that we as believers in this country, need to have. Instead of, you know, it's one thing to stand in truth; it's another thing to stand in superiority above others, where we think we're morally or spiritually superior people, and. That never wins. Any. I mean, I look at Jesus. This guy was out there with the people that the religious establishment of his day was going, no, they're unclean. You need to stay away from them. You don't need to do away with it. And when he, when he didn't, it was like, well, see he, who he associates with. Well, you know, that's who we as the church. I, I really learned more about not judging in the last year by working in our food distribution ministry at our church. Because there are people who come through there, and I see them drive up in obviously better cars than I have. Um, I see them in other places, and I'm thinking, you're spending money here. Why aren't you? But that's not my job. My job is when they come through to feed them, as he says in Matthew 25, and not to judge whether they are worthy of that. Because in reality, if we're going to start going about worthy and deserving, none of us are worthy and deserve the salvation that Jesus is giving us. You know, verse five to me is a very convicting verse in this parable because he comes out right and he says it. You hypocrite. Um, and hypocrite means one who plays a part, an actor. You know, and here we are, we're acting like we don't have any issues when we've got this big thing coming out of our eye. And we're going to fix you folks who, compared to what we got coming out of your eye, you you got such a very little thing in your eye. And when we try to fix someone when we have an even bigger issue, we really become a hypocrite. And he says very easily, first, 
first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll be much more qualified to help somebody else deal with their issues. You know, um, when we overcome a sin, that's, let me rephrase that. When Jesus overcomes the sin in our life, a particular sin, we become then very qualified to help other people because we understand where they're coming from. Um, we have a ministry in our church. Um, it's called a uh, recovery Bible study. And this guy started this Bible study, particularly for people who are recovering from some kind of addiction because he came out of a very addictive background. But there is no judgment on his part toward those people. Why? Because he knows that was me a few years ago. And I think when we remember where we came from, that we weren't born good, godly, spiritual people, we were born sinners. Then when I look at somebody who's still in their sin, I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to hurt for them. I'm going to be broken. I think a lot of Christians think God gets mad at sin. No, he's broken over sin. It breaks his heart. I mean, he cries over Jerusalem right before he goes into Jerusalem in the last week of his life over the fact of their unbelief. He's not angry at them. He's not denouncing them. He's broken over them. And I think if the world saw a church, followers of Jesus who were broken over what is happening, not angry and not wanting to blame and point fingers, it, it would change people's lives much quicker and much more godly than what we're trying to do in many cases now. Yeah, if 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 they saw a brokenhearted people coming to them, loving them, trying to call them back, you know, that, that that's much different than the I'm going to come shake my finger at you and tell you all the stuff you're doing wrong. You know, that yeah. every year that, that I was in college, I think, or practically every year, there was always this group. And, and this is what they do. They travel around to colleges. Um, they come with their signs telling us all that we're going to hell. Um not knowing us at all, not, they're not from that. They're just coming out to 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 point that finger of judgment at all of us. And some of us would walk, you know, we we we'd talk to these guys, and they would ask us, "You go to school here? Yeah. Well, you're going to hell." Like that was it. They knew nothing yeah. about me. That literally was a comfort, you know. Yeah. And on the one hand, we hated it, absolutely hated it when these guys showed up, because because you know we're there, we're you know. We, at the BSU, we're trying to do stuff constantly to, to reach out, to, to build relationships. We were always doing stuff. And these guys would show up and, and wreck a whole lot of that. I mean, they made it a whole lot more difficult in a lot of ways. But we learned that they also opened a door for us to talk about the fact that, no, those guys are idiots. Um, we don't agree with them. And we, could, we, we actually found some times where we got to have real conversations with people mm -hmm. but no mm -hmm. this this is this is who jesus really is this is this mm -hmm. is what the church really is this I, we don't agree with these guys either you know and, and god used even these idiots to allow us to have some opportunities to have some real conversations with people at times now mm -hmm. granted they were a little bit harder and there was still a little kind of this like asterisk this little caveat in the midst of it because yeah these people are hearing something good from us and they're getting to see the difference but these guys still exist. Like this is yeah. still yeah. people who claim to be the church are still acting yeah. like this, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was yeah. always difficult. Yeah. Uh, they, they were usually there for like a whole week. And it was always, it was just a, you could just feel the change in people yeah. Um, yeah. that we were around, you know? Um, Cause I, I took all these communications classes and 
every communications teacher at UNM had the same uh, first day uh, lesson plan, apparently, because we're communications class. So y'all need to do an icebreaker and get into little groups and talk to each other because we have to communicate. I despise icebreakers, okay? <laughs> Especially when you're a youth pastor going to a secular university, okay? You're sitting in a group of guys. You know, like you're sitting in this group, usually, you know, four or five of us, and you're supposed to share stuff, you know, all these little things about yourself or whatever. And these guys are talking about being in their frat and these guys are talking about this. And then all of a sudden it comes to, so what do you do? Like, do you work? Yeah, I'm a youth pastor. And the group goes silent. Yes. You know? Um, yep. But, you know, that, that that usually became a known quantity in, in most of my classes, uh, especially those smaller ones. You know, a 400-person class, no big deal. Nobody knows who you are anyway. But some of those, those you know, 25 to 30, you know, communications classes where we had to talk with each other, they would know. And and more than once, these guys would show up on campus that week, and I'd be there, and, and somebody would be like, are you like these guys? And I'd be like, no, <laughs> please do not associate me with those idiots, you know? Um, because it was tough and and it it just puts us back it, it just becomes an uphill battle to even share the love of christ with people when you have people that are doing that kind of stuff when you have yeah. judgment that's out there and and sadly that i, I know there's people that, that don't feel that way in the church and, and they get really frustrated when the world thinks that way well I, they just don't understand it's like no I, we have earned that reputation as the church in america as a whole we have even if I have not, even if I don't contribute to it all the time, I know it's there and I have to be honest about that. And, and I have to yeah. deal with that. And that, that makes it hard. Uh, well, and, and, and like those guys who came on campus, they're the noisy ones. Yeah. See, you guys weren't noisy. You were going about daily just trying to build relationships and, and trying to reach out. But here they come in. They don't care about building relationships. They don't, in reality, those kinds of, I think, people who call themselves Christians, and I am not making a judgment call either way, but <laughs> they don't care. They just want to voice their voices. Um, I've never, you know, I've never been told I was going to hell because I went to a secular school, which I did. But I did get told in my front door that I was going to hell because I didn't use the right translation of the Bible. <laughs> which just blew me away, you know, and, and, and it, it, it doesn't just affect non-believers. I think it affects believers because we had just, we, a year before that, a young man had come to know Jesus, Navajo young man in jail where we were doing ministry. That's another place you can't be very judgmental because if you're judgmental toward those guys, they won't listen to you. So this guy had accepted Christ and Jesus had done an awesome work in his life. But he comes to me one day and he says, you know, I'm not saved. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not saved? Of course you're saved. And he says, no, because I got saved under the wrong Bible. I said, what? And he then he goes into this whole thing, you know, King James only kind of situation. And I said, not about the Bible you got saved under. It's about the God who saved you. And he's the same. I mean, you know, he's not there. Um, I, I really think that those kinds of folks who do that, Either they, they come up with something. If you go to a secular school, if you ha have the wrong translation, if you have a tattoo, you know, all of this stuff is things that if you if this is true of you, you're going to hell. Well, uh, I hate to tell you, but going to a secular school or reading a, a 
new American standard or new international, I mean, yeah, new international or my ESV, as opposed to a King James, that's not going to send me to hell. A tattoo is not going to send me to hell. Even wrong things I do aren't going to send me to hell. It's the rejection of who Jesus is. And so our job is to help people hear and see Jesus. And the way we do that is by not judging and being hypocritical of how they're living and so forth. Uh, I got in a conversation recently with 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 a guy, and he says, yeah, uh, you know, when people come to me and they, they find out I'm a Christian and, and they start saying, well, I'm against organized religion and religion is the whole problem in the world today, I really defend that. And I said, I don't. I agree with them. And he looks at me and I said, I agree that religion has caused a lot of problems in this world. And I don't particularly like organized religion as such. And so I tell them, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And I think that's the key here. This guy who has got the, the plank coming out of his eye, trying to remove the sawdust in his brother's eye, speck in his brother's eye, he, he, he's not humbled. He, he's not showing grace. It's not about, you know, I want this person to come to know Christ. It's I got to fix them, and I'm the one who can fix them, and I, I've got to do this. And that turns to anger. And I think what we see in a lot of Christians today, as they gripe about our culture, and our culture is lost. It's broken. Yes, it's 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 horrible. You know, I mean, you can't walk into a church without being a little fearful. You know, even a big church like Joel Osteen's church, where the people the, the guys got shot, kids going to school, going to a mall you know, any of those things. Um, and and so, yeah, it's broken. But our job isn't to point out all the brokenness. Our job is to point out, here's a solution to whatever brokenness you have, and it's the solution that I've experienced, and it's Jesus. And I think if we would do that, there would be a lot less um, people coming to people like you as a pastor and saying, um, man, I, I, you know, I kind of want to know God, but I don't want anything to do. You know, I read a book. I love Jesus, but I don't much like his people. You know, yeah. that's an indictment against us, not against God. Yeah. You know, Paul Paul tells us in Philippians that, you know, that we live in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, and we're supposed to shine like stars in the universe in the midst of that darkness as we hold out the word of life. Uh, n- nobody's eyes have ever been hurt by a star. You know, that, that, that feeling when you're in a dark room and you flip the lights on and it the adjustment hurts your eyes a little bit. Um, we're told to be stars, which one means we're out in the midst of the darkness. Uh, two means, and, and he says, just hold out the word of life. And, and we we try to be this like spotlight that's going to like blind a person into the kingdom of God or something. Like I need to get you to submit. Um, our, our, our goal is way too often our goal when we have a conversation, when we have an interaction with someone, our goal is victory. Yes. We want to win. We want to win this conversation. We have to win people to Jesus. I told somebody that I don't win anyone to Jesus. I've never won anyone to Jesus. I'm never going to win sure. anyone to Jesus. Jesus brings people to himself. I get to be used by that, but I don't do the winning, you right. know? Um, and sometimes that's that's the attitude we have, that that every interaction is a contest, is a competition, is a... That's... Yes, we are in the midst of a spiritual battle, but my one-on-one interactions with people, that's not the battlefield, you know? Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians, you know, when we talk about the armor of God, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It, it's against bigger things than that. You know, it, it, our battle is against sin. 
It's yeah. not against this person I'm talking to. And so I don't right. need to have victory over them and, and beat them into submission with anything. Right. I need to love them. I yeah. need to show them that there's something different about me because of Jesus, you know, that that's, that's what changes people's lives is Jesus. Not no, no, no church has ever changed someone's lives. No belief system, no theology has ever changed someone's life. It doesn't work that way. That's religion. That's my man-made stuff. If man-made stuff could have made that difference, Jesus would have never had to come. Right. Okay. Um, but read the old Testament. The man-made religious stuff didn't change anybody's hearts. Um, I always find it interesting. We we spend more time in the New Testament as a whole in teaching and reading stuff, and yet the Old Testament is longer, okay? There's there's more books here, and they're longer than a whole lot of these, okay? Paul's writing like little, like, we got like four, five, six chapter things, and you got like, you know, 60 chapters of Isaiah back here telling us about stuff. Um, weird stuff sometimes too, but in the Old Testament, it's all points, it all points towards Jesus from, from beginning yes. to end, from Genesis to it's all pointing towards Jesus. And most of the Old Testament is pointing us towards the fact, yeah, you need Jesus. You can't do this on your own. You have to have him. Here's the law and here's all the ways that you're messed up. And here's all the ways that God is trying to call you back and you're not listening. Um, you know, time and time again, the people get carried away into this captivity and come back. God brings them back. And again, I mean, Judges goes through that cycle over and over, but we also just see it continuing once you have kings and rulers and, oh, you're carried off into captivity by this country. You're carried off by this country. Oh, you have to come rebuild the temple. It's all about us not being able to do this ourselves and needing Jesus, you know, over and over again. That's what the, the Old Testament points us to, our need for a savior. And I'm not that savior. My morals no. are not that savior. Right. My, you know, system of belief is not that savior. Jesus is. And we don't introduce anyone to Jesus by badgering them about all their flaws. No. Because Jesus isn't going to do that. Jesus takes right. us as we are with all of that stuff. And yeah, he makes us new and he cleanses us and he washes us. He does that stuff. You know, Paul yeah. talks about, hey, hey, remember, you guys weren't so great when you came to know Jesus. <laughs> remember what you were? But now you have been washed. You have been cleansed. And he uses past tense because guess what? You didn't do that. He doesn't say you have washed yourself. You've cleaned yourself up now. No, no, you were washed. Somebody else did that to you. That was Jesus. He's the one that did that. Yeah. Um, not you didn't do it yourself. Your pastor didn't do it. Um, it was Jesus. Yeah. And he's the only one who can. Yeah. Yeah. I think some people look at evangelism as winning an argument. I just yeah. went you over to my viewpoint and the, the greatest the greatest definition I've ever heard of evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where they found food. Um, and we have to demonstrate that with how we live and how we treat other people, even, yes, when they are wrong, when they are ungodly, when they're sinners, because like you said, we have to remember that's where we were before Jesus made a change in our life. So, yeah, I think, I think we've exhausted that little parable there. <laughs> be aware of the fact that you have a telephone pole sticking out of your own head um, <laughs> and uh, and be honest about it. And be like, yeah, yeah, this is this is my problem. Jesus takes yep. this away oh, and, yep. and helps me deal with this and he can help you, too. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's not about me removing stuff. It's about me pointing to the one who can. So. All right. OK, well, we'll be back with you guys next week with a new song and. uh We'll see you guys then. Okay. Bye, guys.